You're listening to the Colorado Springs Real Estate Investing Podcast, brought to you by RICO, your local guide for all things real estate investing in Colorado. Hey everyone, Chris Lopez here, and we have your November updates for all up and down the front range. So Colorado Springs, Pueblo, Denver, and Northern Colorado. So we're going to talk trends. Uh, I've got a really interesting data point from two property managers I've talked to the last couple of weeks. They are seeing a record all-time high uh, in a certain type of new investor or new landlord. And then we got a lot of deals we're going to talk about. We got uh, deals from uh, rentals in Greeley to new builds up north to a really cool seller, seller financing deal here in Centennial, which is like 12% down. So stats, uh, what we're hearing on the street. And then, of course, we're going to talk deals. So I got uh, my crew here with me. I have Jeff White, Steve Medina, Troy Howe, and Newt up north. What's up, guys? Hey, guys. Hey, Chris. Yeah, how's it going? Yeah, so uh, Jenny is unfortunately, uh, I think she's out of town today. She can't join us. Uh, but I'll be sharing some stats from down south. So let's jump into uh, the trends here. And I'll just kind of give a very quick one of, of Denver and Springs. Uh, just kind of give everyone the main theme here. And what we're seeing right now for like November trends is essentially seasonality. Uh, prices from November to October are just normal stats. Prices, showings, all that are slightly down, um, but all within normal seasonality adjustments of going from October to November. Because this October, November, December, either slowest time frame, uh, around the holidays and snow, people don't want to move. Now, here's the really interesting thing. Prices are very, very stable. So in Denver, we saw prices go down about 3% from October, which is a normal seasonal decline, but they're up about 0.4%, so about 0.4% from last year. So not gangbusters, but you know, flat slash stable. Now in Springs, what we are seeing there for sales prices is uh, both homes and condos are down about 1% from last month, but houses are up 6% from November 2022, and condos are up 2% from November 2022. So again, we're seeing seasonal trends down there where prices are lower in November and October, uh, but prices are up year over year. So, I mean, I could go into a bunch of other stats on there, but uh, I would say this is not much else going on. We're seeing the normal seasonal trends. Prices are staying stable uh, with some MOS appreciation depending on which market you are in around town. Of course, with all the details, we got all the bullet points, all the numbers on the blog link. So go check that out. But Steve, moving up north, what are you guys seeing up, up in northern Colorado for trends? You know, it, it's kind of the same. We're seeing, you know, a few more days on market, which happens around this time of year. Um, you know, some of the pricing, the median price is up about 1.9% for, um, you know, kind of uh, all of the MLS. Welds up 3.8. Larimer's down a little bit. Larimer's down kind of across the board and welds roughly even. And, uh, you know, Boulder's up or, you know, Boulder County's you know, up. So we're, we're seeing a little bit of, of everything up here. Um, and, and it's, you know, it, but it's not dramatic, you know, huge shifts, but there are a few more days on market. And that means that people have opportunities to find better deals and, and, uh, you know, work them through appropriately to get their best deal. So you're seeing just 
is it kind of looking like seasonal trends now? Yeah, it's it's fairly seasonal with with the little, you know, ad is that, you know, there's some people that are trying to get deals done by the end of the month because, you know, as an investor or as a, you know, the builder with new construction, there's some added incentive to close it out before the end of the year. Yep. Cool. So let's talk about interest rates on here and Troy. I mean, I think it was in November where rates spiked to 8%-ish. Um, they have dropped, I think, about a point-ish since then. But I feel like November was so far was the highest interest rate, uh, interest rate we've seen. So talk to us about that and what you're seeing. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I think we hopefully hit the peak and now we're starting the downward trend. So we've definitely been seeing some improvement. Um, I think with the deal we closed with you, Jeff, here yesterday, uh, touching in the sixes, um, and we'll talk a little bit later about yours, Steve, uh, uh, touching in the fives. So depending upon packaging, circumstances, situations, I mean, we're, we're definitely seeing, like you said, Chris, a lot better interest rates, a solid half percent, if not more, improvement uh, on the 30-year fixed. So uh, it's, it's, it's good. We're relieved to see this. Yeah, and I was, um, I'll say, somewhat surprised to see the stats as, I'll say, as stable and seasonal as they were with how much rates really shot up, especially that October, November timeframe. Um, I was anticipating the brakes that would hit the brakes harder in the market. Um, but like, yeah, it, it didn't hit as hard as I thought it was going to. Was there anyone else surprised by that? Well, I think some of that too, too, Chris, was that we're in that season of the year and the timing where the market's at, you can negotiate better with the sellers. And a lot of the deals coming through have uh, concessions built in to help buy out or buy down the interest rate. Yeah. So two one buy down type stuff is going on, uh, which is kind of the trendy thing, but buying down the interest rate permanently is going on. So it's taken some of the edge off of what those rates were. Yeah, Chris, I think it's also the move up buyers. Those guys are just sitting on the sidelines because why would you give up your 3%, 4% interest rate or less and then go buy a house with Troy for 7%? You know, unless you have like, unless you're like divorce, you know, death, marriage, like certain, they forced to move for those situations. But if people are like expanding their family from like two kids to three kids, they'll just get bunk beds and stick, and, stick it out in their 1200 square foot house. Uh, until rates come down because they're going to hold on to that 3% interest rate as long as possible, whether they uh, want to or not. Yep. But the, the certain investors are taking taking advantage of the opportunity and and making things happen even in this rate environment, which is cool to see. So one thing that you touched on, Jeff, that, I wanna, that really surprised me, I, I talked to two property managers here, um, the owner of Grace Property Management and Eco uh, Space Property Management, both you know, uh, great property management companies. They manage quite a few doors. So they're, they're, they're uh, big operators. And I was talking to them for just getting updates and trends. Plus, I'm selling a few rentals. So I was getting some lease information, some details kind of outlined with, uh, with one of the PMs for come the springtime. But I was asking them, what are they seeing? I was like, hey, are more landlords selling these? They're like, nope, same trends. I was like, well, are you seeing uh, fewer investors buy properties in the market? They're like, yeah, I mean, seasonally about the same. They're like, but what, what they were both seeing is essentially an all-time high of new owner investors. So these are people who are converting their primary residence 
to a rental property because they don't want to lose that 3% interest rate. And they just said, absolutely, that is a huge lead source for them right now. And I was surprised, like I was surprised and not surprised. I think part of it too is like I'm the mindset of like, hey, I'm I'm liquidating and moving some stuff. So I'm, you know, I'm I'm a little bit of tunnel vision on there. But I wasn't uh, sure with how the interest rates are and then, you know, the, the legislation coming on the pipeline, how much that would affect owners. Uh, but for new landlords, like they are just converting a lot of their homes over to rentals, which is just going to be another thing that helps to stabilize prices. Um, but are you guys surprised by that stat from the PM? Because I, I was surprised that's like an all time high. No. No, no, you're not, Jeff. All right, you're like, no, whatever, move on. Well, because it, it makes sense too. Because if you think about it, uh, it's like that rate. It's basically once in a lifetime. It's almost like free money with where inflation's been out the last couple of years, oh. and that mortgage payment, unless you like, pretty much with how low that mortgage payment is in almost every location, you're probably going to cash flow pretty well. Yeah. Uh, um, for all around Denver Metro or up north, down south. So it's like, yeah, it makes it's actually a smart financial decision. So pretty much it locks the supply in for you know people for uh, houses, right? So now we're stuck with this lack of inventory. Still, we're not solving the problem because these people we can't force them to sell. They're just going to hold on to it, and it makes financial sense for them. Yeah, we were seeing, um, you know, a little bit a couple months ago um, where they were calling them reluctant landlords because people would get moved or a job opportunity or some reason, kind of like Jeff was saying, some reason they had to get out, but they didn't feel like they could get the price they wanted. And so they were going, well, if we can't you know, sell it at the price we want because of the rates, then let's rent it out. And so I think that's continuing. And I, you know, I think the interesting question would be back to the property managers, where are these people that are in the primary going to? Are they downsizing, you know, moving out, going someplace less expensive, going someplace more expensive? You know, what, what, is, what does that move look like that they're going to keep that? Because, you know, if the rates are still at, you know, a little over seven, they still have to get someplace in order to be able to rent that previous one out, which will cash flow in, you know, probably in general, if they had that, you know, low rate and, and maybe even a decent amount of equity that they only had to have a smaller, say, 50 or 60 percent. Um, loan to value, they probably have a really low payment and it's going to cash flow. So it'd be interesting yeah. to see how they're flipping the other side of that. Where are they going? Yeah, I I don't know the answer to that. I wish I did, but that would be interesting data point to know. I mean, subjectively, I would say I've, I've heard quite a few stories of people, you know, and this is just clients I've talked to and other people, they're, they're moving out of Colorado just for, for life reasons, job reasons, all that stuff. And a lot are keeping the rental properties. I had a lot of conversations about like, hey, you can keep it, you can sell it. Here's the options. Um, so yeah, it, it, I think it's a great play for a lot of people. Anyone out there who's doing that, I would say be mindful of the capital gains exclusion rule. If you did live in that house for two years or more, and you can, if you so the rule states if you live in the house two out of the last five years, you can sell the house. And exclude up to two hundred fifty thousand if you're single, or five hundred thousand if you're married from capital gains. So for people that you know have a lot of equity in there, hey, turn to rental for a couple of years, uh, let prices climb, climb a little higher, let the economy stabilize. But if you have the opportunity to like sell that and walk away with a couple hundred thousand dollars in equity, cap gains free, man, 
do it. That is like such an amazing gift from Uncle Sam. So like for people out there doing it, it's a great play, but I would definitely uh, put that on a mental clock and put that on a couple calendars to make sure I don't forget about that five-year exclusion rule. That's a great point. I mean, put your 36-minute egg timer, a 36-month egg timer on it. <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, check it at, you know, 24. So uh, let's talk about some deals here because I know we've got all sorts of deals to talk about. And Jeff, I think you've probably got the... Uh, Probably the sexiest one to talk about. We got seller financing, which hey, we're we don't hear those a whole lot, but we're starting. You know, we we we're starting to do a couple here and there. Um, and you've got a seller financing deal you did in Centennial. What's the details on it? Yeah, so it's basically a 1988 uh, like town, not town home, single family build uh, with the high ceilings, the uh, big windows. Uh, Full, like renovated kitchen, like hardwood floor, like very nice place would be a fantastic rental. And it's just a tired landlord. The guys uh, paid it down basically, uh, you know, from 26 years he's owned it. And he's just paid it down, probably depreciate the whole entire property. And if he sells it, he would have to pay all those capital gains. Um, unless he, and he doesn't want to do a 1031. He just wants to cash his chips in and just spend time with his grandkids. So, uh, the grandpa was, and he was the uh, seller and listing agent too. So he is basically like, well, I could, if you, if I sell it to you, I want I want this price. But if we do seller financing, we'll do a little bit higher price. Um, but I'm willing to work with you on the terms, and that's the difference there. So it's basically negotiating the terms that were favorable to my buyer because he didn't want to put twenty percent down. That was a big hanging point. He's like, I don't want to use conventional lenders, twenty percent down, and then. You know, higher interest rate if I went that route. So, could we negotiate that? And that's the beauty of seller financing is you can it's all negotiable. It's a, whatever you negotiate with the seller, and it's a, both a win-win for both parties. So, my buyer is getting a great rental property where he'll be able to rent it out in cash flow, um, and also on the flip side, the seller is getting a great, uh, basically, borrower slash buyer where if he defaults, he still gets the property. And so it's a win-win for both parties. And the seller also gets the benefit of the tax hit won't be as much because he's willing to take less down payment and interest-only payments. So it's a really good deal, uh, win-win situation for both buyer and seller. And definitely, they're, they're not common deals out there like that. But if you find a motivated seller right time of year and you know you could explain seller financing the pros of it, um, it could be a bit of mutually beneficial type of relationship for both parties. Jeff, I'm curious how the conversation came up about. Yeah, so he he had it at the bottom. So in his listing, it was because um, he's he's been an investor um, for you know 30 years as well. So he just put it at the bottom. So seller might be open to owner carry something like that, right? Like one sentence. So then I just just. Uh, discussed it with them and said, Hey, like, so what, like, what are you looking for? What are the top three things that you want? Uh, and then, you know, just the communication. And then we found, um, with seller financing too, you basically don't have to go through all the full uh, gamut of underwriting with conventional lenders. So, uh, they don't ask for an arm and leg and all you have to really show is all my guy really had to provide was just his like couple bank statements to prove he had the down payment. And his credit score, and the seller was willing to use Credit Karma, and not even do like a hard inquiry. So it was really wow. simple. 
Underwriting, Troy. I know you're probably freaking out. Uh, no, Credit yeah. Karma is the best model in the world. Right? Right? <laughs> what Troy uses. Oh, um, man. So how much, uh, what, what was like the the general like ballpark cost for like yep. you know, the, the, the legal fees and other stuff associated with seller finance? Like what what'd that cost? Yeah, so you have to have an attorney draft up all the seller financing like notes, note and uh, documents. And then you have to find a title company that could also close one of those transactions because not all, all title companies could do it. So all in all, it'll probably be uh, purchase price. Uh, we got to 585 is what we agreed upon and 14% down payments, 30-year amortization. And basically it's going to be legal fees, attorney fees will be, I think that we're asked to ballpark in like 4K for everything. Oh, that's not bad at yeah. all. And no yeah. underwriter fee. So it's like you, you're paying for one thing, but you're saving on the other. So all in all, it's going to be a, a good transaction. And the other stipulation is you want to close before year end. I know uh, that's a big thing for some people for tax purposes. And you can have these conversations with sellers right before year end because they might need um, some type of help with taxes. And seller financing is a great tool. To offer them if they if they own the property free and clear um, for sure. And you found this property on the MLS, right? Yep. Yep. Amazing. It was, yeah, it was keyword search. You know, they don't always call it seller financing, or sometimes they call it owner carry. Sometimes they don't call it all. And then you just have to kind of just say like, oh, how long has this seller owned this property? Maybe we just get, like ask because you ask a hundred sellers or listing agents, and you know maybe one will say yes. So I want to go through. So in year one, so in uh, so year one, you said it was a twelve percent or fourteen percent down. So by December thirty first of two thousand twenty three, he has to do twelve percent down payment, five uh, percent in year two, and then 3%. additional down payment. Yeah, yeah, okay. to show like he's all in, right? Um, so twelve in year one, five in year two, three in year three. All right, 12, 5. Or something like that. Yeah, 12, 5, 3. Yeah, okay. something like that. And basically spreads out also, you know, the tax bill for the seller and also the commitment for my buyer. And he's kind of, I ran the comps on it. He is slightly overpaying for it a little bit based on the comps, but he's okay with that because he's getting a 5.9% rate on day three, first year. And you said that's interest only, right? Interest only. So it, he's just wants cash flow. So yeah. it accomplishes his goal. He doesn't care about paying principal because his plan is to refi in three to five years with a, a conventional lender like Mr. Troy over there. There we go. Thank you. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I, I love it, man. Amazing deal. And this is like the cool stuff you see in the market where there's, I think, you know, this is the nuance in deal making and the nuance in how like it can be a win for the seller and a win for the buyer. It's not just I win, you lose Newt or vice versa. But hey, the seller is getting the, you know, uh, the price he wanted. Um, and then it helps with his capital gains uh, and depreciation capture. Putting that over a couple of years. Buyer gets to put less down. Um, better cash flow right now. Some flexibility. Like, great job, Jeff. Man, hats Thank off you. to uh, putting that one together. Yeah, I like the creative ones. So talking about year-end stuff, and this is thing we harp on all the time. And you know, by the time you listen to this podcast and take action, you know, it's gonna be the end of the year. So like this window is closing. But 
keep this in mind because every year I feel like we are a broken record on, hey, uh, you know, Halloween's over. Great time, guys, um, to go out there and do something. But speaking about year-end deals, uh, that helped motivate the seller with Jeff's seller financing deal because he wanted to get the transaction closed and presumably that first chunk of cash in for 2023. At the same time, though, Steve Medina up north has had a, a little bit of a wild ride, but also a putting together a really good deal for a new build that he's working on, I think, for his next Nomad and some interesting stuff with the financing and some great year-end stuff. So, Steve, walk us through because you got another uh, great year-end deal for, for you. Yeah. Um, so uh, I guess we've been thinking about, you know, moving again and, and uh, you know, things seem to be right. You know, we talk about the opportunities with new construction. And um, I was out in the market looking and I happened to come across a new builder I hadn't seen before. And I looked at the floor plan and then I saw that they had a couple of them available. And, and I was like, wow, this this might really fit that bill, because what we're talking about is buying a resale and fixing it up. But the prices weren't actually that much better for the resales because everybody's trying to get as much as they can. This one particular builder was, you know, looking to finish and close out as much as they could by the end of the year because that helps them for their sales goals and that. And so their fiscal year ends December 31st. So we went in, um, actually ended up, you know, um, signing a purchase contract with them, with me as, uh, as the realtor uh, for my wife and I. And um, uh, we didn't, we didn't, they actually had a in-house, um, you know, uh, lender that was, you know, I guess making the ability to buy down a loan inside their organization down to 5.875. And I was like, wow, that's pretty awesome. Plus it was over 10% off its normal list price. Now you could say that's frontline, but you know, that's, you know, uh, 80 something thousand dollars on that. And then, you know, 30 something thousand to buy down. That's a pretty reasonable amount. And when I ran the comps on things, it really will be that much higher next year. It's just if they, as they get closer to their completion date, their incentives get larger and larger in a lot of these, especially add in that they want to close this out before the end of the year. So um, they actually, their lender wouldn't loan us that. Um, and so we ended up having to go a different way because of having lived in um, a couple of places. And, you know, we're moving a little bit to help my wife uh, be a little bit closer to her work. And so, you know, Troy and I had been working together and, and working on getting pre-qualified because I didn't know if it was going to be a resell or new. Um, but then Troy kind of swooped in, we got stuff organized. So I went back to the builder um, and said, will you give us the 5% seller concessions? Um, they said, sure. So that's about 15% off their list price. Plus, they threw in some appliances and some other things that that helped, you know, make the deal even sweeter. If we can get it done by the end of the year, well, guess what? Troy and I are, and his team are hustling, um, you know, to get all the documents. We just got closing, you know, uh, some of the title commitment yesterday, and we're getting some more documents, and so we're going to close next week. And then, and then the chaos of, you know, moving during Christmas and all that. But my family's been through this drill, and so. We're pretty excited because the opportunity to get in new construction, great stuff, you know, at, at that kind of discount, it's roughly 15% off. I could have went and purchased more down. Troy gave me, you know, kind of a, a, a think sheet to be able to kind of look through. And I could have kept buying down at 8% 
buy downs. But when I look at what the benefit is on the PITI or just the PI, it's about 45 bucks um, a month. And it would take about 60 months to pay that off. So what I'm doing is taking the seller concession, using that almost all towards all my closing and loan cost and the points buy down. So I won't have a lot more cost than that besides the down payment. And so that works best for me to be able to get in. And then I have, you know, five years that it will still be better than the next lower rate um, that would be paid off. So if in five years I can get something below that 5.875, awesome. Uh, But if not, I've got a 5.875 to work with, um, you know, for as long as I need it. So I, I think it's a hell of a deal, um, you know, to be able to walk into a hundred thousand dollar, you know, <clears throat> equity starting off. So that's you know kind of the the play that is working for us, and so we're we're after it. Yeah, that's a great deal, and just I mean, it really highlights the opportunity with you know this time of year, um, and then you know especially with new builds keeping their timeline and uh, for quarter and year end. And also realizing that they're they usually get a lot more creative than they don't they never want to lower the price so they'll get creative in other ways for concessions or rate buy downs or throw in whatever upgrades that uh, new builds can do so that is like a textbook example Steve uh, of how to do it congrats and then I mean Troy I want to talk to you from a lending standpoint because you know we are seeing more people buy new builds. Um, and we're also seeing a lot more forward commitments and some very attractive lending packages from lenders. And I've heard some stories like what Steve ran to were like, hey, either they couldn't do it or, you know, there is, you know, the, it wasn't as good as it was promised. So are you are you seeing um, like more people buy new build? Are you seeing more financing issues on a new build lender? Any trends in the new build space would be a better way for me to ask that question? Yeah, it's, I, um, I, I think a common theme that I seen over the years is uh, the sometimes the expertise or the nuance to how to get it packaged to make it work doesn't always they always come through right they uh underwrite to the same guidelines you know it's fannie mae freddie mac it's va fha we all have the same guidelines but some of these uh invest or institutions shall we say or builder lenders will overlay an additional requirement um, or they may not be as uh, creative with how they could put the financing together for the borrowers to make it work at the end of the day. So like in Steve's situation, it was really an odd pushback that they were giving him on why they couldn't get the financing. And he, he did everything he could to explain to him, show him. And I even went to my underwriting team and was like, is this a thing that I'm just missing out on? Or I didn't see a memo come across the desk that they they changed the guideline requirement <laughs> completely unaware of. And they're like, no. And so we were both perplexed, but to Steve's credit, he got in there and negotiated hard and uh, we got to the rate that they were going to give uh, with me being even an outside lender and, uh, and we're cranking it through and getting it done within a few weeks of contract to get it closed for everybody's benefit. So, yeah, but sometimes the builders just in some of the bigger institutions, the banks and whatnot, don't have uh, some of that creative financing in their, in their wheelhouse, (laughs) still meeting the guidelines, not doing anything fraudulent, obviously, 
but you know, there's, you got to dig into the details. And I, I think this highlights from like a more of a, a macro level for like investors, just in general, for you know years and years of you know buying rentals, is that hey, there's gonna be opportunities sometimes a new build, sometimes there's some special grant programs you can use. But I think you always want to have like a go-to local lender, like a Troy Howell uh, that you've used and that uh, you have a relationship with. Because, you know, hey, this opportunity popped up with Steve. He had to move fast, already knew Troy, already had a relationship. And they were able to move very quickly to make it happen. And this right. is not the first time I've seen this where, hey, we have won a lot of deals over the years. Uh, hey, we did the buyer did a good job on their end. We did a good job on our agent side. But our lending partners... They had their act together. They already had a relationship with the investor. And as other deals have fallen apart, we've been able to scoop things in. So it's a great reminder, high level, to like always have like a key lender on your team. And I'm a big fan, obviously, of Troy, but in general, like have a key local lender. Um, because like uh, over the years, just I've never seen any bank, any website, any app consistently beat having just a really good local lender on your team. Yeah, appreciate that. I, I just echo that, um, you know, because Troy and I, you know, uh, kind of put our heads together, and and you know, I have been a very above the board, you know, on everything I've ever done. That's just the only way I know how to operate. But I like to know what the rules are because I I, I will live within them to get that. But you know, Troy not only helped me figure this out, but we were getting pre qualified. This piece where I took the second run, Adam. Because a lot of people say, yeah, you know what, I guess it's not meant to be. Let's just wait. I'm like, no, that's that's almost, you know, um, something that I don't have in me. But we went back. I think we started on um, basically December 5th. We were hustling. So we're going to be in there just over, just under three weeks from purchase contract to closing. Um, and, you know, Troy, based on, you know, the income and the strength of the balance sheet, you know, could do some things with, um, you know, appraisal and other things to be able to help me save where I can too. So it's, you know, it, it, it's, it's not lost on me that the, the, the partnership between the lender and the team is, is critical because that's, he's the, you know, I guess the fluid that makes the hot air balloon go up because without it, nobody's going anywhere. Yeah, appreciate appreciate that, and yeah, we we uh, we're fortunate. We don't even require an appraisal on this now. That's nothing magical that I've done. Um, it's a lot of a testament to Steve and his uh, strength of him and his uh, his wife and their credit and uh, what they're putting down. And there's a lot of uh, facets that go into uh, an appraisal not being required on the transaction, but. Uh, being aware of it, reading the findings when we run it through the computer with Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, and uh, one said they wanted a computer, the other one did not. So we go with one that does not, getting the pricing lined up. Uh, it works out to be great. But starting that pre-approval process early helped us a lot, Steve, be able to move quickly on this. That's and, I forgot to check the box. <laughs> Don't, everybody remember to check the box to not do the hard pull. Um, that's maybe where the one mistake I've made in this whole thing. So I've gotten right. probably 40 calls a day. <laughs> for well, and we we were going to have to eventually. So uh, that's kind of the crux. You just got it out of the way a little earlier. Uh, the nice thing is you're going to be able to pull it twice in the same month and it's not going to, it's not going to ping it. Uh, it's not going to. Yeah. Well, it again. actually we won't pull it again. We've pulled our one shot and we're done. 
So oh, good. The calls will die down. <laughs> well, and there's there's a soft check that's, that's done prior. We'll do a soft uh, check. Yeah, so, so it's closing. Make sure you didn't buy a Ferrari or something to put in the garage. New. Well, and to be clear, too, Steve, so uh, Chris, you already mentioned Nomad, but for the sure. people listening, that Steve moving into this new as an owner-occupant, but you're renting the one that you're currently sitting in after you move, correct? Yes. We'll take a look at whether or not, you know, if the market gets better, if we sell this one, but, you know, if, you know, the, the best opportunity right now is to rent it. And then I want to, I know we got a few minutes left, but Newt, I want to pivot over you because you were talking about a really cool deal uh, that came across your desk in Greeley. Um, talk to us about that. Yeah, well, there are still deals out there. And, you know, I was looking at um, this property that it's an older home near UNC, but I think it was built in 1924 and it's a single family that was converted into a four unit uh, three of the units are two bed, one bath. One of them is one bed, one bath, and it's under rented. And so, at the purchase price that they currently have, uh, I believe it's forty nine. You know, with thirty five percent down, you could still positively cash flow. But the beauty of this particular listing that I saw is that it has an additional lot. So there might be a potential. You know, depending on you know, the city zoning and everything, there might be potential for some additional building like an ADU or a parking lot. So, I mean, they, the whole point of me bringing that up was just that there are still deals, especially in this season. Great. Well, yeah, I mean, great heads up play uh, and deal on that. And if you guys have any questions on looking at properties up north, Newt and Steve are my go-to guys up there. If you want to come down to Denver, talk with me, talk with Jeff. We do all sorts of investing. Jeff is also the the poster child of house hacking is the uh, the nickname we have for him around the office. And actually, uh, I think the day after this podcast comes out, so uh, kind of like late December, we actually are doing a webinar on uh, a couple house hack deal analyses, so in-depth dives. So you can see some underwriting on some of these deals Jeff is talking about. I have some of these deals Troy's the lender on as well. We'll have everyone in the studio actually running through those deals. So if you're a house hacker, um, definitely come to that or check out the recording and just email one of us if you, if you need the link and can't find it in the show notes. And of course, down south, you have Jenny Bayless, who's out today, um, but she's always around and she's doing deals herself. So uh, everyone out there, this has been fantastic. I always enjoy these. I get to learn other stats. I get to learn deals and just fun nuances. So again, if you guys have any questions, reach out to us. We're here to help you out. If you want all the details and notes, um, definitely go check out the link in the show notes. Our blog has all the data on there. And otherwise, have a happy new year. And on that thought, just popped my mind, we are starting to work on our 2024 investor guide book. So everyone on the call here, reminder, your chapters are going to be coming due soon. And everyone out there listening, please submit your chapter um, to enter your chapter in the book for 2024. The more, the merrier. I think we had 40 last year. So I got to have at least 41 this year to meet my growth goal of more investors in the book. So everyone out there, thanks a lot. Jeff, Steve, Troy, Newt, thank you guys so much for uh, coming out today. Thank you. Thanks, Chris. Awesome. Thank you, Chris. Bye, everyone. Thank you.